The Jewish world tracks its history back to three avos, three forefathers. And the Jewish experience centers on the Beis Amikdash, which appears in three different stages, the first, second, and the future third Beis Amikdash. And the Avois and the three types of Beis Amikdash are related to each other. Now, in order to understand how that works, we're going to observe two different ways of connection and commitment to our Judaism, and specifically the fact that Yaakov Avinu was the one who described bias that there'd be a permanent structure referring, of course, to the third Beis Amikdash. Now, we see that all in this week's parasha. Because with regards to the Pasuk in this week's parasha, where it says, that Yaakov Avinu named the area that would later be the site of the Beis Amikdash, he called it the House of Hashem. The Gemara says that Yaakov's expression is unique. It's not like Avram Avinu who called it a mountain, or about whom it is called a mountain. Like the Pasuk says by the Akedah, that from that time and on, this would be called a mountain where Hashem appears. And it's not like by Yitzchak, where it's referred to as a field. As the Pasuk there says, that Yitzchak went out to Daven in the field. But rather, the ultimate Beis Hamikdash is like Yaakov called it a house, that he called this place Beis Kel. That's why it says in Yeshaya, right near the beginning of Yeshaya, it says, Beis Eleke Yaakov, that everybody will stream up to the house of the God of Yaakov. And it's not referred to as the house of Avram or Yitzchak, as we'll explain. So, the commentaries explain that these three expressions, that the mountain, the field, and the house, they refer to the three different Bata Mikdash. That's why the third base Amikdash, which obviously will be the most permanent, is referred to as a house, which is a permanent structure. Veloi Harvasade, not a mountain or a field, which is, of course, neither designed for human uh, habitat. Because that's the greatness of the third base Amikdash. Because Dafka, the third base Amikdash, will be eternal. Unlike the two preceding Bata Amikdash that were destroyed. That's why Yaakov is Dafka the one who calls it a house, as we learned in the previous Sicha. Because Yaakov's inheritance has no limits, no boundaries. As the parasha described earlier, that you burst through all the boundaries in all four directions. So there's a clear link. The Beis Amikdash Ashlishi is the most permanent, and it's associated with Yaakov, who called the Beis Amikdash Bayis. Okay, but we still need to understand what's going on over here because Miachar Shedafka Yaakov Kiroi Bayis, the fact that Yaakov specifically is the one who called the Beis Amikdash a house. Don't you imagine that if Yaakov is the person who speaks to the permanence of the Beis Amikdash, you would expect that to be reflected in his life. You'd expect him to live a life of permanence and stability. And at least relative to Avram and Yitzchak, who called the Beis Hamikdash more temporary, you'd expect that Yaakov's lifestyle should be more stable than theirs. And the facts are the opposite of Hariadrabah to the to the contrary. You dafka find that Yaakov appears to be the most transient, the most mobile of all the others. Particularly if you're comparing to Avram and Yitzchak. <clears throat> because even Avram Avinu who, chal- who, chal- who traveled and certainly Yitzchak who didn't most of their life was in a single place look at Yaakov Yaakov generally speaking was like a foreigner he was like a he didn't really belong like he tells Paro he says I had a difficult life First, he has to run from Esav, as described in the beginning of this parasha, that he had to leave Beersheva. Then when he was in Choran, he specifies, like, I was a stranger there. 
When eventually Yaakov wants to settle down, he has the trauma of Yosef's abduction. So when does Yaakov eventually live like a mensch the last 17 years of his life? And that's in Mitzrayim. So how does it get from Yaakov, who has such an unsettled life, to be the person who chaps and represents the concept of the Beis Hamikdash in its permanent state, the Beis Hamikdash Hashlishi? Doesn't seem to add up. So in order to understand that, we're going to look at how the prophecies are about coming to the Beis HaMikdash HaShlishi, that the whole world will want to participate in the Beis HaMikdash HaShlishi, which will lead us to understanding two different ways that we connect to Hashem. So, so let's start off by analyzing the quotation in the Gemara from Yeshayo Abayt about Beis Yaakov Elikov. What is the full pasuk? It says, Many nations will go. They all say, let's go up to the mountain of Hashem. To the house of the God of Yaakov. And there they will teach us from his ways, Hashem's ways. And we'll follow his path. Now this also doesn't seem to make sense. We get it, this is referring to the third base Amigdash, and we know that the third base Amigdash is called a house, but why is that relevant to this particular Pasuk? Here the theme, the message of the Pasuk is that nations of the world will want to come to the base Amigdash to learn the ways of Hashem. Why is it relevant at this point to know that the Beis Hamikdash is called bias, which shows permanence. Why is it relevant here? And then the other part that we have to understand is how the Pasuk concludes. Because it says, All the nations are going to say, let's go and learn from the Beis Hamikdash, says the Pasuk. Because Torah will emerge from Zion and the word of Hashem from Yishalayim. Now, key, pirushin is as time. The word key usually is an explanation. It's, it's a giving a reason for something. But that's going to raise two questions for us. Number one, There's nothing in the Pasuk that indicates that all of these nations streaming to Yerushalayim are doing so because they want to be able to, to convert and, and start observing Torah and mitzvahs. As you'll see from the Pasuk that continues afterwards, that it's, they, they're, they're, not, they're not necessarily becoming Jewish. So why is it an, a motivation for all these people to come up to Yerushalayim? Because that's where Torah comes from. But they're not looking to learn Torah. They want to know the ways of Hashem, but they don't necessarily want to become Jewish and observe Torah. And then, simply, aren't you saying the same thing twice? What's the double expression? They're not both saying the same thing. Is Tzion and Yerushalayim not synonymous? Is Torah and Devar Hashem not synonymous? And for that, for that matter, what's the double expression of what they're seeking? That you'll teach us your ways and we'll go in your paths. What's, you're saying the same thing. So the easiest answer would be to say, well, the Torah repeats these phrases just to emphasize the point, how much they want to go and learn. But you don't want to repeat the identical words. You want it to sound nicer, so you change the language. Instead of saying Tzion twice, the second time you say Yerushalayim. And the second time, instead of repeating Torah, you say Dvar Hashem. Same concept, right? That uh, it's his ways, but we express it in different ways because we want to keep almost like a poetic license. And in fact, the, the commentaries on Tanakh point us out that in various places in Tanakh, that's what happens. The Torah uses similar expressions just, for, like, you know, so to speak, for poetic justice. So to, the, to, to the contrary. Torah is not a flowery poem, poetry. Torah, every single letter is carefully chosen. So 
to the extent that we know that we'll learn a whole series of halachas if there's an extra word or an extra letter in the Torah or something that's used in a different expression. Even forget about halacha, even just reading the simple understanding of a pasuk. Of, of, of a even if the words we're trying to analyze are words of shira, which is not even necessarily about halacha. Each time, Rashi, who is the Pashton, who explains things simply, shows us why the Torah will repeat words. So it's not good enough just to say, wonderful, beautiful, you know, it just, we just want it to sound nice. There are reasons why it says Tzion, and Yerushalayim, and Torah, and Dvar Hashem, and Yerenu Midrachov, and Nelchaber Choysav. We need to understand those reasons. So, over here, we're not saying that there's a double expression that is effectively resp- re- repeating the exact same thing. It's teaching us different messages. To teach us his paths, one thing. To go in his ways, another thing. The fact that Torah comes from Tzion and each one of those details will express and will explain every single one of them is specifically chosen. So where we'll start is, what's the difference between the expression Torah and the expression Devar Hashem? Let's start with that. Once we know that, then we can look at the difference between Zion and Yoshalayim, and then we can look at the two different approaches of how the Goyim are going to come to Eretz Yisrael. Based on all of that, we'll get a really good understanding of the different types of Beis Amigdash and why each one is associated with a particular one of the, of the patriarchs. So, starting at the beginning, what's the difference between the expression Torah and the expression Devar Hashem? We know the Gemara tells us, when we use the expression Devar Hashem, we're talking about Halacha, which is Devar Halacha Berura, something that is clear and unequivocal. It has been decided. This is the way it is. It is no longer negotiable. Which is different to Torah. Torah expresses the entire experience of argument, debate, Proofs, counterproofs, questions, examination, and exploration. Particularly if it's juxtaposed against the expression Devarashem, which is clear, absolute halacha. So Torah is The word Torah includes all the give and take and even those things that are eventually rejected as not the final answer. To be more specific. When we analyze, for example, Minag, we find When it comes to Minag, Minag may be different from local to local. In one place, the Minag is this way. In the other place, the Minag is that way. Here you do work on Erev Pesach before Chatzos, here you don't. Here's the, right, the, 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 the Minag may differ from place to place. Even with regards to outright halacha, more than minag, it may be different from place to place. Like the Gemara says clearly, in Rav's uh, hometown, in Rav's city, he's the poisek, the halacha follows Rav. In Shmuel's city, he's the poisek, the halacha follows Shmuel. Even when we talk about the classic debates between Beisil and Beishamai, until we reach a point where there's a, a, a consensus and we say, okay, now the halacha follows Beisil, until that point, in Beishil's community, they followed the halacha of Hillel, in Beishamai's community, they followed the halacha of Shamai. So, what do you see? That there is some element of the possibility of different halacha in different places. Yes, sir, Alkain. Take it a step further. Let's say we now pass in a particular halacha and we say we follow Beisila, which means that if you do now follow Beishamai's view once we've rendered the halacha like Beisila, it has no validity at all. Still, even if it's not valid in practice, it's still 100% Torah from the living God. You dare not ever suggest that the so-called unaccepted halachic opinion is not a Torah opinion. It's 100% Torah, it's just not relevant in practice. If a person would suggest that a piece of Torah which did not make the final cut for how we practice, if you would suggest that that is not Torah, that is somebody who rejects the whole of Torah. 
As the Rambam clearly says, that if a person were to suggest that even one piece of the oral Torah is not valid and part of Torah, that person is rejecting the entire Torah. Beyond that, even a suggested concept in the Gemara, or even a question raised in the Gemara, is 100% Torah. As it was presented at Sinai. So if you were to learn only the suggestion and only the question in this particular Gemara, and you don't get today to learn the answer to the question or the, 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 the decision of what the halacha is, you have to say the brochus for limer hatayra, ve'oimer ala salkadaitech ve'hakushya, you say about this particular question which will later be rejected or this particular suggestion which will not be accepted, you say, including the particular view that is not accepted, you say about it, so that Hashem gave us His Torah. So what are we seeing? Devar Hashem is the actual practical halacha. And the practical halacha is non-negotiable. Torah includes all the elements of the discovery of a concept in Torah, including those that don't make it into practicality. That's the distinction between Torah and Devar Hashem. Now, now, when you look at all the different opinions and all the debates within the Gemara, all the arguments, questions, suggestions, and we say that they're all they're all part of Torah, right? They're all part of the living God's word. Bottom line, there'll only be one halacha, and it will only follow one opinion. Like the Gemara says about David HaMelech, what does it mean that Hashem is with an individual? Here it's talking about David HaMelech, but it extends to any person. means that the halacha is decided like their view. meaning So what do we see over here? It says, That opinion that is decided to be the final halacha, that links to a much higher experience of divine revelation represented by the name Yud Kei as opposed to all the various opinions where they are the shame Kim Chayim. They are connected to the name Elohim, which is a lesser exposure of godliness. But they're both valid names of Hashem that dare not be erased. Just to explain this more clearly. Elohim, the name Elohim, Gam Elohim, Chaim, Shulam, Maylam Elohim, Stam, even when I don't only refer to Hashem as Elohim, but Elohim, Chaim, which is a higher level than the generic term Elohim, Hulashon Rabim, is always a plural word. Why a plural word? The name Elohim allows the possibility for diversity and for um, multiplicity. Kvayochel, so to speak. Not that Hashem is more than one, but allows and accommodates the possibility of entities to believe that they exist in a state of multiplicity. So that will reflect in Torah. If I'm looking at Torah through the lens of Elohim, even Elohim Chaim, seeing as that is a world of diversity, it allows for the possibility of diverse opinions within Torah, all of which are authentic, but they are different. But when I refer by the name Avaya, which is Shema Mefoyah, Shema Etzim, Shema Meyuchot, the explicit name of Hashem, the unique name of Hashem, the essence name of Hashem, and therefore Lemaila Mehishalkos, the dimension of Godliness, which is beyond the possibility of diversity, beyond the possibility of multiplicity, it's absolute oneness. Havaya is in the mix. There can only be one unequivocal conclusion, one halacha. This helps us to understand another layer of depth to the distinction between referring to Torah as Torah or referring to Torah specifically as Dvar Havaya, the word of Havaya. Now we understand it's not just Hashem's word as the final say, but Dafka Dvar Havaya, the expression of Havaya, which is absolute unity and does not allow for diversity. 
As we've already noted, Torah includes all a broad range of opinions, including those opinions that are not accepted as the final say. Which means that those other opinions could teach us lessons in other areas of Jewish life, not necessarily in halacha. But when we use the expression But when you're talking about The exposure of the essence of Hashem through Torah That is immutable That is halacha It is in stone Now we can understand the passage that says From Tzion you get Torah And you get Devar Havaya, that absolute clarity and unequivocal expression of God in a stafka from Yerushalayim. Meaning, which means that there's a link between Torah and Tzion and Tvar Hashem Yerushalayim. So therefore we have to understand what is the difference between Tzion and Yerushalayim. Yedua. If you ever want to understand what something is, the Torah names that are given to things are not arbitrary. They're very carefully chosen and they illustrate the essence of what that particular thing is. So the name Tzion tells a story and the name Yerushalayim tells a different story. Tzion and Yerushalayim are both names for the same city. Nevertheless, in a kol echod mishem yisaylu moire al inyan omailen ifredes shebe irazoi. Each name emphasizes a particular quality of this unique holy city. Hashem tzion. What is the meaning of tzion? Tzion, in its direct translation, is lashon simen. It's an indicator. Uchamay hatzivi loch tzionim, like the the expression in Tanakh that says, "Establish for yourself, set for yourself markers, indicators, like a tzion on a grave." It's called a tzion, a mark of where somebody is buried. So that's a simon. It's an indicator of something else. When I refer to Yerushalayim as tzion, I'm saying that Yerushalayim, the city, represents something else of a spiritual value. Like the Gemara famously tells us, that the physical city of Yerushalayim corresponds to a spiritual reality of Yerushalayim, which is, so to speak, directly opposite or mirrored by it. So Tzion means this city is supposed to hyperlink you to a spiritual reality that is not present. But when I actually use the word Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim comes from the root Yira, um, or of God, that is already present. It's not just a link or a reminder for somewhere else. It's already present. Like the Medrash famously tells us, Yerushalayim is a composite of two words, Yirah and Sholem, complete, absolute awe of God. So if I'm talking about the city as Yerushalayim, I'm describing a place where the individuals who are in that place experience absolute awe of God. They're overwhelmed by awe of God. If I'm talking about Zion, I'm talking about people who link with or relate to or are reminded of a spiritual reality. If I'm talking about Yerushalayim, they experience a tangible Yerash Hashem. Okay, like the Pasuk says, and we explain about it, that when it comes to Ma'isasheni, the Torah tells us that one of the reasons you do it is in order that it should help you to have Yerash Hashem all your life. So there, the explanation is, how, how does Maish Hashem bring this Yerash Hashem? So we say, because You come to Yerushalayim to eat your Maish So you see the place where the Shechina is present. You see the, the Koyanim on duty. The Levim standing and singing. And the allocated representatives of the Jewish community who watch the Karbonist Tzibor. Being in that world makes you feel Yerash Hashem. So being in Yerushalayim actually instills Yerash Hashem in a person. So now we've got two states of spiritual awareness, Tzion, and a deeper state, Yerushalayim. So Be'ez HaBachin HaSanal Tzim What's much more valuable to us is not just to know how Yerushalayim operates as a city, but to understand what these two realities mean and our connection to and service of Hashem. 
just like Hashem allocated and chose Eretz Yisrael to be the special land on earth, he also chose us to be his special nation. Which is why we have characteristics that are similar to Eretz Yisrael and vice versa. And so therefore, in the same way as Yerushalayim, which is the apex of Eretz Yisrael, has two facets to it, one represented by Tzion and one by Yerushalayim. And we have to be able to identify that within our Avoid Hashem, there's a Tzion element and a Yerushalayim element. Yerushalayim is... <coughs> Al Shem Yirav Al Shem Sholem. We said Yerushalayim is the name that represents completeness and awe of Hashem. Meaning, in Yonah Bavoida, what does it mean to us? It means we have reached the ultimate state of awe of Hashem and therefore surrender submission to Hashem. If I use the word Yerushalayim, I'm referring to a person who has worked so hard on themselves that their entire reality is complete dedication to Hashem. Tzion, on the other hand, is Midosh and Tzion. As we already said, it's like an indicator. It's a sign. It's a representation. That's who often avoid her. A person who has achieved the level of Tzion in their avoider means I now become someone who represents a higher level of connection to Hashem. The person still remains themselves and isn't completely surrendered to Hashem. But this is somebody who has refined themselves to such a point that they now become the representative of higher, loftier, more spiritual things. The fact remains that that person is still an entity of their own, independent. And so here's a person who's investing effort to try and understand Torah to the best of his ability. That's exactly what the person will succeed in doing, understanding Torah to the best of his ability. So what's the result of Tzion? What's the result of a person whose entire dedication to Hashem is that they're working on themselves and they're working on themselves, but they haven't yet reached complete, absolute submission to Hashem? What comes from them? Torah. That means that as long as a person feels that I am still I, but I'm dedicated to the cause, Shaykh Libchinas Torah. That will bring a person to an understanding which is called Torah. As we already mentioned before, Torah allows the possibility of diverse opinions. means to say that the type of learning that a person will do when they are this tzion, this marker of godliness in the world, working on themselves in an incredible way is that they will still be able to see things that are not necessarily exactly according to that law. They'll entertain a variety of different views. Because as we've mentioned, this is a person whose Torah learning will be relative to their individual personality. The average personality entertains the possibility of different opinions. Each person relative to their intellectual abilities and relative to their soul root. It's not a bad thing. Seeing as this is somebody who has worked to become a representation of higher ideals of Kedusha. So it's not like he's going to teach or come to conclusions that are off the wall or contrary to truth. Every different opinion angle that the person presents will be true Torah. All the great and wonderful thoughts and processes that this person has had are all evolutions from and therefore they remain a sign and reminder of it's all part of the fact that Elohim, which is Elohim, it is Godliness, allows the possibility for diversity. So what part of Torah do I key into if I'm still a me, if I'm still a Metzius? into the part of Elikos, the part of Torah, that can be translated into all kinds of diverse opinions. 
That all talks to the reality of understanding Torah, and understanding could be a totally theoretical experience. Which may not yet translate into what you do in practice. The truth is, as long as I'm learning Torah for learning's sake, it's not the end of the world if I'm still entertaining diverse opinions because I'm not yet deciding what to do in practice. But when I have to decide what do I actually do, all the svaris, what do I do in practice? I dare not rely on just the Tzion dimension that entertains possibilities to decide the practical aloha. When I have the onus of choosing what the aloha is going to be, I need proper yira. I need bitl. I need devar avai to come from where? Like the Rebbe Hashab explains in Samech Vav, she efshe lifseik alocha bemes lamitoi, ki malidei shleimes ayira. That it's impossible for a person to decide a halocha accurately unless that person has absolute yira sashem. Kasher adam yare shem mechalila psaka alocha shaloi, loye mechoven kifirot ha'elyon. As long as a person is afraid, lest I get my conclusion wrong and it does not match up to what Hashem wants, or worse, if I get this wrong, I could go against what Hashem wants. Only if a person has that real acute Yira Shamayim, then they'll be able to pass an aloha correctly. Even if the subject on the table is only a so-called lesser law instituted by the rabbis, or if it's only something of a more recent nature from one of the brilliant students who the Torah allows to be able to innovate within Torah. If I have Yira Shamayim, then I recognize I know what's at stake over here. The words conveyed to Moshe at Har Sinai, Hashem's Rotsin. What's the difference to me if Hashem decided that this aloha should be Derabon or Deraisa? It doesn't change. It's what Hashem wants. And therefore, the person is afraid lest their rendering of the aloha shall based on which somebody's going to actually make a decision and act in a particular way. The person is absolutely paralyzed by fear of coming to the wrong conclusion that might go against what Hashem wants. That Yira Shamayim propels the person to invest so much more effort and so much more depth in their analysis of Torah until they're absolutely sure that they will be directed to the correct halachic outcome. That explains why we say the word of Hashem comes from Yerushalayim. Where does the word of Hashem come from? Absolute Yerushalayim. To be able to focus and be aligned with the correct halacha, it's not good enough just to have ordinary Yerushalayim. Like Yerushalayim. If a person is afraid of punishment consequences, that's not going to keep them focused. Or even a more advanced kind of yira, to be afraid of losing a connection with Hashem. The thing that is required to ensure that a person paskins halacha correctly is absolute yira. The fear of lest I not align with what Hashem wants. That will bring me to proper halacha. So now we get it. Tzion and Yoshalayim represent two levels of dedication to Hashem. Tzion is in process and Yoshalayim is absolute dedication. Therefore, Tzion can, pro- can produce the whole range of Torah only Yoshalayim can produce halacha, devar havaya, the singular, the singular reality and truth of how this should be translated into practice. Now we speak about this kimitzin teitzasera when? Ansim chastera at hakafis. 
that will help us to understand why it belongs in our coffers and why in its particular placement in our coffers. Say the Psuke Ata Horesa Nemalifne Hakafis, the Ata Horesa Psukim, which we say is a prelude to the Hakafis, Mistaim Beposuk Kimitsin Tetze Seirod Varavai Mishaloim, concludes with that Pasuk, Kimitsia. But a Cherin and Moven, it does seem a bit odd. Bishlom Ezeshaim Rak Chelek Mina Posuk, Bishaya Umicha. Okay, it's one thing that we're only using part of the Pasuk, and the Pasuk appears with variations in Yeshaya and Micha. We're not saying the whole Pasuk, we get that. We could explain simply. Because only this segment of the Pasuk is relevant to the theme of the pre Hakafois verses. Fine. So then why do we start with the word key? We should say, Why do we say key? Because because links you to the Pasuk that precedes. The whole point of key is that whatever we just read in the preceding Pasuk is a reason or is linked to this reason. Why are we using the word key if we're not quoting that part of the Pasuk that is relevant to the key, to the because? Because what? You're not telling me what. Fascinating insight. You have no choice but to say, This, the fact that we include the word key, in the Psukim of Ataresa is Loi al Tchilas Posuk Zebishayo Micha Elo al Posuk Shemim Koyim Melachin Nifnei Akafos. We're not linking this Kimi Tzion to the preceding words in either Yeshaya or Micha. We're saying Ki to the previous Posuk we've just said before Akafos, which is Malchus Chom Malchus Kolilam and Memshalt Chobuchol Dor Vador that Hashem's kingdom extends over all worlds and His dominion over all generations. And we'll have to analyze what is the difference between Malchus and Memshola, kingship and dominion, and how does it link to Mitzion and Torah and Yerushalayim and Dvaravaya? So, okay, the, the fact that we're now linking it to Malchus Malchus does not undermine in any way that in its original context, the key is linked to that immediate context. Because obviously that context in Yeshaya is totally different to this context of Malchus It's not out of the question we find in many places that a single reason could create various outcomes. Okay. Not, that's not a big question. The question is, what's the link to Malchuscho? But at the same time, we have to say, But it's not arbitrary. The fact that we could use Kimitzi and Tetzay to talk about all the non-Jews coming and wanting to learn from Torah as described in Yeshaya. And we can use Kimitzion to connect to Malchus Chom, Malchus Koleilamim. There must be a link between the two of them. We have to discover that link. Now, Bepashas Mashma, at face value, it's clear, the one expression which is that Hashem, your dominion is, your kingdom is the kingdom of all worlds. And then the second one, that your dominion extends over all generations, Shavim Betoichlam really seem to be saying the same message. And then maybe we should say, as we said earlier, the Torah is just repeating the same language because it wants to emphasize the message that Hashem is the absolute ruler. And we'd also say, similar to what we said before, that the reason that the wording is changed slightly is because it's like poetic license. But as we already noted earlier in the Sicha, we don't play those games with Tanakh, just repeat words to emphasize things and change it up a little bit so it sounds nice. There's got to be a deep message. And just as we saw a deep message and the difference between Tzion and Yerushalayim and Torah and Varavaya, we have to see a similar deep message and the difference between Malchuscha and Memshaltcha. To start, what is the big difference between the concept of kingship and dominion? Is that The minute you say Melech, you're talking about a leader who the community wants as their leader. Keloshen, as we say in Davening, that we accepted Hashem's 
kingship over us willingly. Whereas Memshala is by force, against your will. So these two possibilities of how Hashem rules over the world, either with a willing audience or by force, they're key. They're because of. Why are there two possibilities of how Hashem rules over the world? Because there are two possibilities of how we accept Hashem's word. And of course, how that translates into our personal And of course, it also does touch on the concept of Tzion Yerushalayim as two different states of the city of Yerushalayim. So let's look at it this way. When I'm talking from the perspective of Torah, which we've already identified, which is where the human being uses human ability to be able to understand something, can all a person understanding to the best of their human abilities? Whatever you understand, you enjoy. That's how it is. You're enthusiastic about things that you could relate to and that you could appreciate, that you could understand. And of course, we know that the greatness of Torah learning is that it propels us to actually do what we've learned, to translate it into practice. So when you've really understood something well, and therefore you're excited about it, when you actually come to put it into practice, you'll, be, you'll, you'll, you'll do it in practice with a sense of enjoyment and excitement. Meaning, if I'm coming from the angle of Tzion and Torah, then I accept Hashem's leadership and Hashem's kingship willingly because I'm living in a space that I'm enjoying and appreciating what I've learned, what I've understood, and therefore I'm willing to accept. But when a person's learning Torah from the perspective of Devar Halocha, which Devar Avai, which means what? To decide what the practical Halocha should be. And not only to decide the Halocha, but to apply the Halocha. This is not a place to be reliant on what I understand and appreciate and enjoy. To the contrary. Human bias will lead me through my understanding very often to arrive at a conclusion that is against the halacha. So how do I keep myself focused and on the straight and narrow? Specifically when a person is willing to reach the level of Yerushalayim. Complete dedication, submission to Hashem. Then then you're willing to force yourself and to put yourself completely aside which allows you then to absorb and accept what Hashem really wants, not what I want, the absolute pristine version of, of godliness. And then I get to the correct halacha according to absolute truth. truth. And I actually apply the halacha even if applying the halacha is completely against my seichel. That means when I learn Torah from an angle of which means I'm looking how to apply this in practice, which is obviously going to then propel me to fulfill mitzvahs as they should be fulfilled, how and why would I do that? Only by a willingness to surrender my metzius completely, which is similar to the idea of memshala, that Hashem is, has dominion over me. So there you see it. Torah comes from Tzion and is aligned with Malchus. It's a pleasurable, personalized experience. Devar Havaya, which is Halacha, comes from Yushalayim, complete submission, which is the concept of memshala. Now, seeing as the whole Jewish nation and specifically each individual, the idea of being Jewish is not just that I should be perfect in my service of Hashem. But I'm supposed to impact the entire world, that the entire world is as perfect as it should be. 
gives a very clear example of this, that we have responsibility to the nations of the world. That Moshe Rabbeinu was instructed by Hashem to tell us to influence the whole world to, to observe their seven Noachad laws. And how should they keep those seven Ochad laws? Not because the Ochad laws are a beautiful way to keep a holistic, healthy society, but rather because that's what Hashem said at Sinai. So therefore it's not good enough that we within the beautiful, pristine, spiritual Jewish world that we should have these two levels of Torah, that which we absorb and relate to in a personal way, and Dvar Havaya, that which we accept with Hashem's authority. It actually has to go beyond that. The message has to spread out there to the rest of the world. Through Tzion we'll be able to spread the theme of Torah. That will influence the nations of the world that they want to know, they want to learn. What's Torah? Where it's meaningful to me, it's personal to me. So you're enemy drachov. That influences the nations of the world. Let me come to Yerushalayim so I can learn what is meaningful to me. To learn their seven mitzvahs. So even though in order to be able to do the seven mitzvahs, you have to be willing to submit and to surrender your personal interests in favor of what Hashem wants, still, it's personal. It's personal. It should be something that you appreciate. And then the second part, which is that the Dvar Havaya should not only affect us that we get to the state of Yerushalayim, but should go from Yerushalayim and should be shared. That influences the nations of the world that they should walk in Hashem's path, which means not just that they should understand these things, but they should apply them in their lives. Halicha, walking, is related to the word halacha. That's an expression of absolute uh, submission to Hashem. Which means that they should be willing to listen and to accept all the seven Noachide laws as they are Hashem's word. The same applies to these two realities of Hashem being king in an acceptable or attractive way, or a moishal in a so-called strong-handed way. They're directly relative to the two possible causes, the Tzion approach or the Yerushalayim approach. Meaning to say, if we're out there teaching the world the Torah approach, what's going to happen? They'll accept Hashem as their Melech. Willingly accept Hashem as their King. As the Pasuk says, all of the worlds will happily embrace Hashem as their King. And by us sharing and spreading the concept of absolute Yira, which is represented by Yerushalayim, that influences the world to be even accept the things of Hashem that they don't understand and appreciate. Means we can influence the world to be in a state of complete submission to Hashem, even beyond what they understand and appreciate. Any concept that exists can manifest in two possible ways. There's the general sense of a particular concept. And there's very specific details of how it actually plays out. And the same applies here. Now, face value, the Pasuk in Yeshaya is describing the future. The Beis Amigdash Ashlishi, that's when everybody's going to come streaming to Yerushalayim to learn. That's when we'll have the ultimate spreading of Torah and Varavaya from Yerushalayim to the rest of the world. And therefore, and that's why we'll have the absolute 
height of uh, of acceptance of Hashem's authority in both realms, the Melech and the, uh, the Moishel. That's generically, that it all applies to the time of Mashiach. But more specifically, we can split it up. In the same way as you could obviously distinguish between how things are now in the time of Golos and how they were in the time of the Beis HaMikdosh. So, in addition to that, obviously in the time of the Beis HaMikdosh there was absolute revealed godliness. So obviously if there's revealed godliness, how was everybody serving Hashem? With love and with excitement and enthusiasm because they could see it, they could experience it, they could relate to it which obviously gave them a tremendous beauty and experience and satisfaction and pleasure out of the avoider that they did, which is quite absent in today's world. When Elikos is not really apparent, primarily the way that we serve Hashem now is not so much from the pleasure of the experience, but from dedication to the experience. The truth is we can make a similar distinction between the first and second base Samikdash. We'll make a similar, of course, not identical, but a similar distinction between the first and second base Amikdash. The first base Amikdash was built by Shlomo Amelech at a time of the zenith of the Jewish nation, the so called full moon phase of the Jewish history. Which means, means it's a time that was tremendous revelation of godliness and from a very lofty spiritual level, from the level of Bina, which means that people had a meaningful personal relationship with the experience of Elikos. And it was considered a place, a reality of absolute freedom. Which is why the Jews had absolutely no concerns from any of the surrounding nations to the country. The surrounding nations all came and brought tribute to the Beis Amikdash. So that had a two impacts on the world. The first is that the, the Beis Amikdash was able to influence the world in a very elevated way. And the second thing is that the, the avoid of the Jewish people was in a very revealed way. Uh, so, so that was Ahava, that was a, a, a relationship with Elikus, which is complete love. And this is the principle called Tzion, from where Torah emerges, as we've already discussed. Whereas in the second base, there was not that kind of revelation. Like the Gemara comments on the Pasuk that says, that they covered without the hey, referring to hey, dvarim choser b'bayisheni, that there were five elements missing in the second base amigdash. Orin v'kapoyres v'chul, it lists the five things there, the orin v'tumim, etc. So there's less kilo yelikos. Uvenei solo itachashlitas malchei ha'umais, and at the time the second base amigdash, we were still under the sway of other nations, and we had to get their permission in order to build the base amigdash, and then there were other nations that came in and took over, and Hanukkah, and the Romans, etc., at that period of time, the main way that we served Hashem was through Yira and Bittel because the love was lacking. We can see a similar thing. Similar distinction we can draw now between Hashem as the willing, the king we want to have, or the Memshola that, so to speak, imposes itself on us. That also plays out in these two time periods and how they're different from each other. At the time of the first Beis HaMikdash, the Seder of how Hashem presented in the world was like a Melech. Firstly, with regards to the Jewish people, because as we've already said, it was a time of tremendous revelation, so it was a time of great embrace. They were excited and enthusiastic to accept Hashem's authority. And that spilled over into the world, so it was generally a peaceful time in the world at large. Whereas the second base Amikdash, Hashem's interaction with the world was this heavy-handed inter- interaction, which influences first us and then the world. 
Firstly, it affects us that our primary way to serve Hashem is How do we serve Hashem out of awe and fear of God, which means that it's almost like we're forced to do it. And that spilled over into the world, which was a time where the world was at war. And various nations over that period had the upper hand over the Jewish people. So the only thing that could keep us safe was if the world was aware of the fact or felt that Hashem is the dominating force over and above all of their forces. Okay, so what do we have? Malchus Willing, beautiful acceptance of Hashem is tied into Tzion and Torah, which is a personal experience, a loving experience of Torah learning, because I relate to it as we had in the first base Amikdash. Memshola, which is the strong arm of Hashem, is related to Yerushalayim, complete Yerushalayim, which is necessary in order to decide Halacha, Devar Havaya, and that was primarily the mode of connection during the second base Amikdash. We'll now link those to the Avois. We can now link the three Bate Migdash to the three Avois, each one, of course, reflecting a similar theme. Avram Avinu's entire means of serving Hashem was in the Chesed uh, channel, which is Midas Ahava. That's where you show incredible love of Hashem, like the Pasuk testifies. Avram, oy avi, Avram is the one who loves me. So how does Avram impact the world? In a chesed, I have a way. Shower the world with revelation. Inspire everybody so that they should be moved by your inspiration. Very similar to the mode of avoid in the first place. I mean, gosh, we love being here. It's so inspiring. We want to be here. And that's why this particular avoider, the mode of avoider through Ahava, is specifically related to Tzion and Torah, as previously explained. Because What is a Tzion? We said a person here who is a sign and a representation of something higher. Avram Avinu here on earth was a sign and a representation of Chesed Atzilus, the ultimate state of divine kindness. Because Avram Avinu's entire approach to serving Hashem is through Chesed, how does that translate? Pleasurable, beautiful, loving. As we say in Chasidus, that the nature of love, even the highest level of love, is you still have a sense of self. I love. That's why some people find it an offensive statement. Why is I first? Because, yes, me, I love. Avoid us, Yitzchok, he Then you have Yitzchok, next generation, completely opposite mode of connection to Hashem. That is, avoid us, Hashem, through Gvura, which translates into Bechinas Yiro Ubitel. It translates into absolute submission to Hashem. Kamashakosav, like Yaakov Avinu says about his father, Upachad Yitzchok Hoyoli. The fear of Yitzchok is referring, of course, to Hashem, but is relating of here that, that Yitzchok's connection to Hashem is one of fear. That's very much like the second Beisamikdash time period. Which links it to Devar Havaya, which requires Yerushalayim. Because what you will find with Yitzchak is much more of the sense of awe and fear of God, Yerushalayim, complete submission, much more than you'd find with Avram Avinu. Where does Yaakov come in? Yaakov, who is the ultimate of the three, who is Kavoim Tsoi, the harmonizing central channel, Tiferes, beauty, which is able to amalgamate, to synthesize both extremes. He's able to synthesize healthy chesed, love, and, and kindness, and, and, and enthusiasm, and enjoyment. Together with the avoid of Yitzchak, which is the, the, the stand back, uh, absolute fear of God. Gimel. That's why he represents the third base Amigdash. The third base Amigdash will harmonize the greatness of Avram and the greatness of Yitzchak, the greatness of Baish Rishon, the greatness of Baish Shani. 
Tachlis ha-shlemus de gilo yelekus o-yoyser ma-shahoye be-bayis yishin b'chinas tziyon. On the one hand, the Beis HaMikdash HaShlishi will have the ultimate revelation of godliness, which is an Avram-esque kind of uh, approach, shower the world with uh, with awareness of Hashem, and it will be even greater than the first Beis HaMikdash. So that's b'chinas tziyon v'toyra, something relatable and, and enjoyable. And simultaneously, the third base Amigdash will allow us access to the experience of complete submission to Hashem, Yitzchak's Kav. Now that we've gone through this entire explanation, understanding the link between Ahava and Torah and Sion and Malchus on the one hand, and Yira and Memshola and Dvaravaya and Yoshalaim on the other hand, and how Yaakov brings them all together into a healthy synthesis. Now, now we can understand why Yaakov is Dafka, the one who ascertains the eternal nature of the base. By being the only one to call it a house, a permanent structure. And why this is relevant when we talk about all the various nations of the world, Asher Yomer, that they'll say, not just simply that we should go after the Beis Amigdash to learn, but they have to attribute it specifically to Yaakov. Why? Generally speaking, in all realities, in spiritual terms, generally speaking, you always have to imagine that there will be whatever exists has a counterpart that opposes it. Every healthy, holy trait has an equal and opposite unholy trait that interferes with it. Just as a person could in a positive way have love of Hashem, in a negative way could have misdirected love to bad things. And just like Yiras Hashem is a very powerful, beautiful thing, but the negative could be that a person has anxiety or anger, which is also related to Yira. Veloshen Chazal, to use the expression of Chazal, that what emerged from and eventually was disconnected from Avram is a Yishmoel, an unhealthy love, love for the wrong things. And likewise from Yitzchak, what emerged and, and eventually disconnected from Yitzchak, unhealthy Yira. And that's why any one of the Midas on its own may peter out. A great example of this, of course, will be all the people that Avram Avinu succeeded in touching and influencing and converting, and they did not last. Because any extreme Mida will find extreme challenge and will eventually collapse. The same problem occurred in the two Bata Migdash. Because each of the Bata Migdash focused on one specific area. Love and inspiration. And submission. Therefore, there's the possibility of a pushback and a nemesis, which eventually destroys that Beis Migdash. Whereas Yaakov's midah is neither extreme, but rather Yaakov is able to harmonize and hold the two separate and different midahs together. So he's immune to any nemesis. That's why Yaakov is Dafka, the one who succeeds in seeing all of his children remain dedicated to the cause. Which is relevant to the third base That's exactly what will happen in the third base Amigdash because it will have both components together, both the element of Tzion and the element of Yishalayim. That's why it will be stable and it will last forever, and that's the link to Yaakov. That's why it's relevant for us to know in the Pasuk that it says, that many nations will go and what will they say? That they'll say, let's go not just to the mountain of Hashem, but to the house of Yaakov's God. And they say, why? Because what? It's got both. It will have both components, the Torah and Sion, and the Dvaravayin Yerushalayim. 
normal real terms. When can you impact and influence somebody else? You can only influence somebody else if the person you're trying to influence detects that you are for real, that you're genuine. Same thing. In order for us as the Jewish people to influence the rest of the world, we cannot be extremists and say there's only one way to serve Hashem. Either the way of enthusiasm and getting to understand things in a personal way, or the way of complete submission, and that's it. We need to be able to accommodate both. We have to have the sense of personal connection and personal pleasure and enjoyment in our Judaism within which you can detect the absolute submission to Hashem. Which means that even when you're loving Hashem and even when you're understanding Torah, you should feel in that complete submission to Hashem. And the other way. That even when you're submitting yourself completely to Hashem, in that experience you should enjoy and, ex- and feel a personal connection to that. When a person is able to harmonize both. Then your avoider is true, which is Yaakov's trait. That becomes your reality. Which is, if it's your reality, it's never going to pause or stop. And that will get the, the rest of the world to want to come and learn from you. That will excite the nation of the world. We want to learn from you our mitzvahs. And we want to apply them because we see that you have this healthy balance and you have this MS. We want the MS too.